0: We have stories that are written by journalists essentially for journalists and their sources and not for the general public. As a result, that's why, particularly newspapers, but other media uh, across the spectrum, are having some problems retaining audience.
1: What is the most important relationship for a news outlet? The one between the newsroom and the audience, or the one between a reporter and the editor? I'm Michael O'Connell, and that's the question we'll be answering on this week's episode of It's All Journalism. George Sylvie spent many years studying innovation, change, and decision-making in newspapers. Aside from being an associate professor at the University of Texas in Austin, he's also the author of several books on journalism, his latest being 2018's Reshaping the News, Community Engagement and Editors.
0: Welcome to the podcast, George. Thank you, Mike. It's been an honor for me to... um Appear here. Oh. I've never been interviewed on a podcast before, so it's a first time experience.
1: Well, good. Hopefully, it's a good experience for you. Uh, y- usually, that's a good hook for us to get people onto the podcast. Well, I've never been on a podcast before, so let me. Uh, I'll <laughs> say yes. Tell me about your your journalist journey. How did you get started in journalism? How did you end up at uh, the University of Texas?
0: Oh well, you know, like anybody else, you sort of happened into it. Mine was a um the good fortune of not being good in math, I guess, and, and physics and learning that I actually could do something with uh, my skill at writing. So, uh, turned from a math major to a journalism major within a semester and then learned that, uh, you actually could make a living writing. And, uh, so one thing led to another. And long story short, I, I wound up working at my hometown paper in Shreveport, Louisiana for. Off and on for about a dozen years, and decided to pursue an academic career after that. When I learned that uh, academics sometimes get paid better, and, and also, you know, you could have an impact on uh, the upcoming journalists and and teach them things that uh, you didn't know or you wished you had known uh, when you were coming up yourself, and so. My journalism career is one of um, love of writing and love of being able to say whatever was on my mind, usually, or whatever I consider the truth, just like anybody else, I guess. And also having grown up during the uh, Watergate era, that was a big, big influence.
1: And and this conversation that you and I are having actually began from a tweet that you put Mm -hmm. out about one of our stories and I was like, well, here's a guy with a point of view. Let me let me reach out to him. And it, it had to do with a, a comment you made about a story that we did on uh, rebuilding trust in the newsroom and pulling right. back the curtain in users to do that. What was your what was your take? Why did you, you feel you needed to or you wanted to make a comment on that?
0: Well, you know, honestly, I, and one is selfish because I have a book that talks about <laughs> um trust to a great degree that was just published in December called Reshaping the News. But on the other hand, also I think this is partly selfish I guess but I just think that people nowadays forget that journalism is number 1 based on the relationship between and among individuals and groups and and the and the bedrock of that is trust and I think too often we take trust for granted particularly in newsrooms I think you know I probably made some some effect some comment to the effect that um uh, you know, like journalistic autonomy sometimes can, can use a good refresher course or, or needs to be bridled in. I know that's not a popular opinion among journalists, most practicing journalists, because they think you want to take their power away. But in many cases, I think the trust that's built between editors and journalists has Resulted in a lack of trust between the journalists and the public. And I'll tell you why. Long story short, I just think editors as former journalists themselves tend to bend over backwards to the, toward the autonomy of the uh, reporter, him or herself. And with good reason, because that person is closest to the story. They are the one who's executing and arranging the the facts in the most in the best communicative manner possible but on the other hand i think over time particularly in the last generation editors may have ceded too much um don't want to use the word power but ceded too much authority or too much too much to the journalist's discretion let's put it that way and i think that As a result, we have stories that are written by journalists essentially for journalists and their sources and not for the general public. And I think as a result, that's why particularly newspapers, but other media across the spectrum are having some problems retaining audience. So, you know, that's a long answer to your question, but... I'm really, at this stage in my life, you know, I'm not a back-to-basics guy so much as I am. Let's think about what we're doing. And that's, you know, that's the academic in me. But it's also, after years and years and years of seeing and training reporters, seeing that, you know, there's just been a little bit too much focus on who's doing the writing and not enough focus on Who's doing the assigning and what kind of supervisory job they're doing in after the fact?
1: So there needs to be somebody sort of driving the train. You know, you got me thinking where you're saying that you know maybe maybe the editors have sort of acceded a lot of authority to the reporters. I mean, part of that I'm sure is the fact is a general sense over the last ten years we need to get people in here who understand digital media, and those people right. who understand digital media tended to be younger. They right. may not have had a lot of newsroom experience mm-hmm. and so it's natural for them to develop you know a shorthand a language with which they they talk to mm-hmm. journalists they talk about the types of stories I mean I you know like there are several podcasts I listen to that are that are definitely made for the chattering class one could right. accuse this podcast of being made for the chattering class we're journalists talking about journalism exactly. um, and that can, and that can be problematic because it's like well who are you guys talking to if you're not giving us information and that to me signals You know something that we've talked about on the podcast in the episode that you had commented on, you know this this idea of you know trying to develop trust between the news outlet and the the audience by listening to the audience and engaging with the audience. But I think it's also what you're saying is is really kind of a legitimate argument. You know where does editorial oversight come into this? You know Mm -hmm. how do you you know how do you assign stories? How do you set priorities for your news outlet? Because ultimately, the work and the writing that these reporters are doing pretty much establish the brand and the identity of the news outlet. And it's great if you get a lot of clicks, if you get a lot of eyeballs on your stories, mm-hmm. but you know, what does that do for you as a trusted news source?
0: Yeah, and it's the trust that I think we just seem to think about as an afterthought or as a last resort, because, you know, uh, particularly in the newspaper industry, now, you know, engagement is what everybody's talking about, but at the right. same time, Learning to become engaged with the audience is very difficult because we've set up this technological barrier between us and the audience. We have this thing. When I mean by technological, it's skill based. It's technique based. Writing has become a technique and thus a quasi profession with things such as objectivity, fairness, you know um transparency transparency all those things that lot. we that we tend to forget that the audience is not privy to nor do they have the inclination to want to know or you know they they don't even consider and you when know, you put a story out there like you know you expect the audience to understand and uh, and I do this a lot with reporting students is you know we're not writing these stories for The politicians who give us the information. We're writing these stories for the people who pay the taxes, which means we have to understand they're more concerned about how this affects them. And naturally, so, even though they're paying for the product that we're putting out, they're not paying for the, they don't want to read about the politics because nine times out of 10, the politics is personality based, somebody they won't ever come into contact with, or it's driven by uh, somebody who has a high opinion of themselves and has the same issue that reporters have, which is out of touch, being out of touch with the public. And because also we have the double whammy of most of our reporters now have to have college degrees because it's it's a specified quasi-profession, as I mentioned, and Going to college, Mike, I don't know, you and I are very lucky in that we did go to college. But on the other hand, how many real people do you run into on college campuses? Not a lot. Not a lot. And not only that, you don't have the skill set with which to deal with real people. What do you talk to them about? They're not going to be in Starbucks. They're not going to be in downtown in the bars. They're in probably in the suburbs or in, in they're in neighborhoods. They have children. You don't have children. You don't even live. You, as a journalist, don't even live in that neighborhood. So, it's and and this is one of the sad things that I'm seeing more and more is journalism is becoming much more because of the technology and because technology, rightly or wrongly, costs money. Information is power, right? People who are into technology tend not to be from the straight middle class. They tend to be upper middle class, affluent folk. And the fact that you're going to college means you're affluent and, and many times you're affluent or you're highly mobile. And that's not something that uh, the tech, uh, the, uh, the typical uh, Joe Sixpack or whoever you're reading, writing for, or broadcasting for, can really uh, get their arms around.
1: And I've certainly heard the criticism of you know, you know, journalists. We don't like, I don't reading this, like reading this paper. I don't like, like reading this reporter because they're they're always talking down to us. Mm-hmm. And, and that's you know, I've I've been in newsrooms, you know, print newsrooms where. You know, the conversation in the newsroom is is somewhat disdainful of, of, of the audience. Just oh, well, yeah.
0: I've been there, they fall,
1: they fall into the, the patterns of, you know, writing for their sources, writing for the city council, you know, the, the people you get quotes from or, or the developers or whoever, mm-hmm. and not really responding to the needs and the wants of the public. And, you know, if you're going for a younger news staff, your front-line reporters tend to be younger right. coming out of college. You know, there, there used to be a structure in journalism where you would go to that community paper and you would be forced to go to that, you know, exactly. uh, city, council, city council meeting or better yet, the, uh, the land use meeting yeah. uh, where you hear r- real stories about how, how things actually work and how people are actually impacted by mm-hmm. development mm-hmm. and money in their neighborhoods. And so you begin to learn how to communicate with, the, with your audience, understand their needs and their wants and write to them right towards those needs. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it's, it's fascinating that we, we just don't have that, that level, that level anymore. So then, it, then it, okay, we get into the situations you're talking about where, you know, it behooves then the, the editor to do that. I mean, why aren't they doing it or how can they, how can they better do that?
0: Well, there are a lot of reasons, uh, you know, and it's not simple by any means. And that's what I discovered, you know, in writing this book is, there's a multi-pronged thing here going on. And one is, okay, reporters don't have, don't have the institutional or the local memory and they go into newsrooms, you know, they parachute in and they are highly dependent on editors, but sometimes editors don't fulfill that duty. One reason is because there are fewer editors than before, tend to be also managing more people because of cutbacks or what have you in the newsroom and their time is very limited plus the editor has become much more of a process or production driven position as opposed to quality control if you get what I mean production driven from the standpoint of well I've got this I've got 10 pages I need to fill before 6 p.m. or I've got the website needs to be refreshed at 2 p.m. What are we going to do? What do we got coming? And you tend to feel like, and I know I did when I was an editor, not so much concerned that the quality of the story is good, but that you've got a story to begin with. And, yeah. and you're, you're worried about filling that hole. Whether it's uh, I've had those sad days many times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a natural worry because if you don't, Woe to you. And that's going to be, you know, that's going to be the first thing about why can't you fill the hole? Not necessarily why can't you turn out good journalists? So filling the hole becomes a priority. And as a result, uh, you are as an editor production oriented. Secondly, because most editors become editors because they were good reporters, not, you know, they didn't prove their metal editing anywhere. For the most part, in, in newspapers that I'm familiar with, most editors were usually an ace reporter back in the day before they became editors. So their, their affiliation still lies with the reporting. And few. it's hard to teach somebody what it's like to be out in the community. You can't make them, you know, you can't do the driving for them. As a matter of fact, they probably don't even drive much anymore. They stay in the office and stay on the phone if they're, you know, if they want to do two or three stories before deadline. And so you have these things working against you as an editor. Secondly, uh, thirdly, I should say, the the editing function has become something of a dumping ground. In some newspapers, for those who are caught between the reporters who are the stars of the show, so to speak, and the upper level editors who actually make policy decisions or uh, procedural uh, policies. And so the... Newsroom editor, the section editor, to say the editor of the lifestyle section or the sports section or the, the metro editor, um, local news editor, they don't necessarily get a say in how things run. They just have to follow and produce. So they're not looked upon as hotbeds of innovation, actually don't get that much uh, training once they become editors, unless it's in a new technology. You know, they get paid well. Um, so to speak, compared relative uh, to uh, reporters. But on the other hand, they get paid well to make sure things run, not necessarily to make sure that the reporters are covering, uh, are aware of things in undercover communities. As a matter of fact, they don't have that kind of time with the production um, demands. So you've got a position that's really, you know, editing used to be, oh, overseeing a reporter, looking over their shoulder and, you know, reading the story with them and saying, oh, no, that's not going to work. Go back, call somebody else, or get in your car and uh, go see if you can talk to XYZ. Or go in that neighborhood tonight and flesh out that story. How often do we get fleshed out stories? It's hard to know because we're not privy to the interaction, but nine times out of ten, Most editors are not making their reporters rewrite and verify. And so you really got the first draft in most uh, cases. And first draft, you know, is usually, you know, pardon my French, crap. (laughs) So, um, go ahead
1: yeah no you you just uh you just outlined my outlined my la- life for the last
0: you know 12 years
1: <laughs> no yeah. I, it's I, I, true I'm, I'm i mean it's
0: hard but you know what i mean first drafts usually no, no. Are, are need work
1: no no i i hear you because i've been in that grind in that you know on the one hand we're, we're told we need to have so many news stories on the website because people expect us to have the latest news and mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but. They I also want analysis, so analysis takes longer. Well, how mm-hmm. can we fit that into our cycle? And then, this the constant updating in, in, in production deadlines and getting, making sure that there's new content and sort of mm-hmm. keeping that churn going. Mm-hmm. And that tends to be comes, comes tends to be the focus is to feed right. that gaping maw and less about. And what's funny is, is then then if you spend the part of the day that you you're supposed to spend looking at analytics, is you know to try to glean what people are telling you what they want, what they want, they want analysis. They want depth. Right. But so, you know, in this, this process that you're stuck in that you're, you may be producing content that's not getting the results that your right. audience really wants. Right. It would have the big impact. It. So right. how, how do we break this cycle? How can we free these editors to do their job? Well,
0: I think that's, that's where, you know, my, my, uh, what do you call it? Prophecy and, And my preaching tends to fall on deaf ears because we've done a lot of uh, right now the the business is very high on digitization and um, what's the word I'm looking for? Data analysis and tracking traffic data and clicks and hits and things of that sort. Trying to guess the right word is deduce what the audience wants, sort of like a tea lead type (laughs) thing. And uh, that really, truly is looking at things after the fact. When if you really want to know what an audience wants, you ask them ahead of time and you give them as many options as possible. Plus you, you go over it. Sometimes people don't know what they want until you think about several different ways, what they've said. The famous example is, you know Pringles potato chips. Who the hell knew they wanted potato chips in a can? Until yeah. somebody developed it and had the idea. Same thing with the iPhone. Who knew we needed an iPhone? Nobody. But you've got to put it out there, and you've got to do your homework and figure out who these people are. And I think that's what that's what I talk about with the trust is knowing a person takes time. Like it does not. It does not come easily. It does not come. Um, through surveys and then once you know people there has to be some control some structure if you will in the newsroom that assures that your your stories or your product is going to cover that or write about that or cater to it somehow you cannot allow a 26 or a 28 or a th- even a 30 year old sometimes the luxury of hands-off editing when there's a whole new audience out there that you don't really know if they get what you're saying. And uh, so my, this is where the disconnect happens is what I'm saying is editors need training in learning their community. And this was the thing that I found once I became an editor and actually thought about sometimes what I was doing. Not always now i wasn't perfect but the community is this great amorphous group of other groups that come together and circle and you know dissipate and then come together again and dissipate and come together again and with digitization now that's even worse because sometimes you know we just come around an issue on twitter or we come around a personality i mean God knows why do some things go viral? We don't know, except that there's some salience that people find in the subject matter. Well, why do they find that salience? Uh, And that's, you know, that's what I'm saying is I think the ultimate solution is restructuring newsrooms and getting back to editors as editors rather than as glorified uh, production operatives. And that really takes some thinking about what is this community? What is, say, the D.C. community? And you can see papers have struggled with this. Um You look at uh, the Washington Post, for example. It's a great national newspaper, but how is it locally? I dare say not that. Not good. No, <laughs> I dare say it's not good. And that's something that they have struggled with. And I think that's well, because you know there's the politics community, and then there's the real community, and the real yeah. community gets short shrift because of eyeballs yeah. and advertising.
1: The perspective that I can give you is somebody who lives outside of Washington D.C. and who has watched The Post for a few decades, and and how they continually make the same errors in in, in their local coverage. They do cover some things, you know, occasionally really well in local coverage, but. Mm-hmm. primarily their focus is on when they write stories, it's on D.C. And mm-hmm. despite the fact that it's Washington, D.C., actually most of their readers are outside or live in either Maryland or, uh, right. or Virginia. Right. And they don't cover those communities at all. And their writers tend to be younger, so the interests that, write, that younger writers have, bars, bands, you know, fashion, things like that, those are the things that they tend to write about that aren't particularly relatable to people who are out necessarily in the communities. Right. You know, oh yeah, there's this great new museum show downtown. Why don't you come down? Well, I don't go downtown. I live out way out, way out in Loudoun County. I'm not Mm going to do that. Mm -hmm. So, you know that when I worked on a community newspaper, one of the things that the editors were supposed to do were go out and meet business leaders, go to you know business lunches and, and mm-hmm. you know breakfasts, and go to community association meetings and, and mm-hmm. you know city council meetings, sit down with with different leaders in the in the community to right. so get a sense of what the you know the priorities were, right. and that, that was part of it. But also, you know, if you do, um, you know, maybe you do a, a market study of of who your audience is. You do a survey of uh, you know your target audience, and they tell you what they what their big concerns are and what the types of stories they want to do. Mm-hmm. You still need somebody on you know whose eye is on that right. in the decision making process
0: right that, exactly. yeah
1: you cover the, you cover the city council meeting which you know about this new street, but yeah. you know you're not even bringing up anything about this development that's going on yeah. that this is going
0: to yeah. support let me so, let me let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. I used to be an education reporter. And education reporter. I don't know if you know anything about it. It's not top rung in the in the newsroom. It's lower. You know, it's down there with cop yeah. reporter. <laughs>
1: but guess what? But guess what? Suburban people care That's about they exactly care about their right. School.
0: That's what they care about. They care about crime, but they also care about what's going on in school. They don't care about what, how, which schools are better. Well, they do in a way, but they're more concerned about what their kids are learning. But, you know, as education reporters, you can ask the people at the EWA, the Education Writers Association, one of the hardest things to teach education reporters is to write about what's going on in the classroom. And uh, I'm not saying that I was a whiz at that by no means. I mean, I did did my stuff about the superintendent and the school board and the state superintendent and corruption and the politics and all that. And it was very interesting and and kept me very much alive. But also, from time to time, you have to go into a school and you have to say, you know, yeah, this is very elementary, pardon the pun, (laughs) but, you know, this is people's main concern. And what are these kids learning? And I'm not talking about ideology from a Democrat or a conservative perspective. I'm talking about how are they learning and what, uh, what tools are the teachers using to deal with the fact that they've got a 60-40 split in racial population? How is that trans- transferring in the classroom? How many white teachers can identify with black kids from a lower socioeconomic background and how do they teach them? Can they teach them, you know? Things of that nature. That's a very nuts and bolts type of thing, and is not very glamorous for most reporters. It's a hard and, and work type of thing.
1: Yeah, and that's not something you can turn around very quickly with, no, with a minimal no, amount of no. phone calls from your desk. You, yeah. you actually have to go out and, and talk to people and meet and people watch
0: and watch and listen. Yeah, you know, and so that's, that's what a... that's what I'm saying. The the trust comes from watching and listening, and understanding the nuance that people are worried about and right. uh, sure you can write about the hot topic hot ticket item maybe you know bussing in the schools or or redistricting that's the one that you're going to have all the angry parents uh oh, saying they yeah. want to <laughs> be the exception but what is it about the redistricting that brings them what is it that they're worried about and explore that But the problem is, you know, is also this also gets characterized under bean counter type journalism. Um, Journalists are deathly afraid from the 1990s on that MBAs are taking over newsrooms and they should be afraid because MBAs at least know where the money is. Journalists don't really care. And uh, and, you know, you see this in other professions. Doctors have this same problem. Not all doctors are on the board of the hospitals. Some doctors want to be, save lives. I, we get it, but they don't necessarily bring in all the, uh, Medicare patients that we need to run the hospital. You see, so, um, professions have these issues from, uh, from the beginning. But on the the other hand, professions stay professions because they have discipline. They have, um, structure and they don't let the professions run away with the profession <laughs> yeah if that makes sense you know the doctors <laughs> makes aren't all, all aren't all in charge the administrators have a say so it should be with the newspaper i'm not saying publishers know everything i'm saying give the editors a chance to be editors
1: so uh, before we wrap up here uh, tell me again what the name Hello? of uh, your book is and ha- and how people can get it
0: it's called Reshaping the News, Community Engagement and Editors, and it's published by a New York publishing house called Peter Lang. It's an international thing. The only problem, Mike, too, is they've put an, an academic price on it, so it's a little pricey. I think it's 50 bucks, but what? I think most most journalists could still read it in less than a week.
1: You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, why not sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter? You get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. It takes a lot of people to put together an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicole Agrisco produced this episode. Amber Hilly wrote our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music. Amelia Brust helped with our booking. Nicholas Hunter provided a web assist. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. It's All Journalism is produced in partnership with the Association of Alternative News Media. Thanks for listening.